Well, good morning. It is good to see you. And um, the thing that happens when you open God's word, really two things happen. Every time I open the Bible, in some ways I'm affirmed. Like I get a word of affirmation of the, the, the progress that has been made in Christ in my life. And I, I hear this beautiful calling and, I, and I'm able to see how Jesus is changing me. And then the second part of that is comes with a challenge of saying, but you're not there yet, keep coming, keep, you know, keep working, keep chasing after Jesus. And so this morning as we open God's word to see who we're supposed to be as a church, we're gonna find a lot of affirmation as we've just seen around the room. There's a lot to be thankful for and a lot of gratitude uh, to Jesus for what he is doing in the life of our church, but it's gonna come also with challenge. Uh, when we read from God's word who we're supposed to be, we're gonna see that we're not there yet. And so in Acts 2, we're going to continue this leg of the Marks of Disciples series. We'll be in Acts 2 today in the next five, four weeks, five weeks. And, uh, and so we started this section with the word devoted uh, in Acts 2, 41. Um, a huge group of people give their lives to Jesus and are baptized. It says 3,000. And so the very next verse says in 42 that they devoted themselves. We spent whole week looking at this word devoted and what it means to be devoted to something. A lot of you in life groups were discussing that even this weekend or last weekend about what it means to be devoted to Christ. And then from there, we get this list of words that describe the things that they were devoted to, which is where we're going to end this March of Disciples series. So last week, we came together and saw that they were devoted to the apostles' teachings and spent the whole service looking at exactly what were the apostles teaching. They were teaching the doctrine of the gospel of Jesus. And, uh, And so it's not only what they taught, they were devoted to it. Right? And so on the, uh, on, the, on, the, on the outside looking in, you can, say, uh, you can say that unity exists when people just kind of get along. But the word of God would say, no, our, our unity is based first and foremost on the doctrine of the gospel. If we don't have a unity of faith, we don't really have a unity. And so these believers were first defined by their commitment, their devotion to the apostles' teachings. And then the second thing that we get is this, that they were devoted to the fellowship. That's where we're going to spend our time today, looking at this beautiful connection of two words, the fellowship. I'm going to teach you some Greek this morning, so I hope you um, came prepared to learn. The word fellowship is the word koinonia, okay? And you may have heard that kicked around in church circles, church world. It's not too hard to pronounce. It has beautiful implications and meaning. So uh, koinonia is the word. So we're going to practice saying that together, koinonia. Ah, look at you, Greek scholars. Okay, so what we're going to do now is we're going to look into just the, the idea from like a Greek dictionary. If you look this word up, like a Webster's version of the Greek dictionary, what definitions would you get? If that's who we are, right, if we're devoted to the fellowship, then what is a fellowship? What is a koinonia, right? And so if you looked it up in the dictionary, you would get these definitions. Uh, first one is this. You would get an association involving close mutual relationships and involvement. Okay, so it's kind of like what we talked about just being devoted, like we're committed together to something in close relationship with a common task. Okay, then what we're going to see is this. If you look um, at the word used practically in the New Testament, there's some more definitions that come. One is the idea of sharing one's possessions with the implication of some kind of joint participation and mutual interest. Okay, so that's not... Me seeing a need and going and meeting it, it's me seeing a need, you seeing a need, realizing that neither one of us can meet it on our own, but we come together with a mutual interest and a mutual sharing to meet that common need. It's the way that we're going to see the New Testament describes our tithes and offerings. It's the coming together for a mutual purpose of meeting a mutual need. And then just this basic idea, um, that which is readily shared. 
I love that because it gives, it kind of paints the picture that you and I as Christ followers are always on the edge of our seat looking for that next opportunity to share something we have with somebody else, whether it's sharing the gospel or sharing a financial practical need or sharing a meal or sharing a word of encouragement. Like we are postured on the edge of our seats looking for with this readiness to share. Okay, so that's how that word is defined. Now, when you drop it into the New Testament and use it, it gets used in some really beautiful and remarkable ways, okay? So we're going to look at and highlight just a few ways the word koinonia gets used in the New Testament to better understand who we are in Christ and who Christ is calling us to be as his followers, as disciples. So one of the first places that you will come to in the New Testament to see its use is in the, letter, the letters to the church in Corinth, first and second, it gets used a lot. However, it shows up in some really remarkable ways. So what I want to do is I'm going to read for you the verse. We'll throw it on the screen, and I want you to see just some basic uses of the word. This is 2 Corinthians 6, 14, a very popular passage about not being unequally yoked with unbelievers. You may be familiar with that. This is a place where it shows up. So here's the verse. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness, so partnership, or what fellowship, there's the word koinonia, has light with darkness. So here's what we're seeing in this use is the idea of fellowship carries the idea of working together in unity. So we see the opposite. Can light and dark work together? They can't, can they? I mean, darkness has to hide from light. Light and dark can't exist at the same place. And so the opposite of that then, the idea of koinonia is that there's this beautiful, remarkable partnership. It's like we belong together. Like yesterday I was at uh, Brian and Allie's wedding. And I was asked to do the welcome and the greeting and say a few words. And you go to weddings, and weddings are almost always good and beautiful and, you know, and elegant and fun. And, and, but occasionally, on a rare occasion, you get to attend a wedding that just feels right, like very good. Like these two belong together. I think it's no mistake that the Apostle Paul uses the marriage illustration to describe our relationship with one another and our relationship with Jesus, that there's this sense of, we belong together. We didn't just show up to kind of get along and tolerate one another, but like, I belong with you and you belong with me. And so that's what, that's what the Apostle Paul is trying to communicate. You belong together. Don't be yoked with people you don't belong with like light and darkness. But in the koinonia, you belong together. Now, I want to look at another way that the word gets used in translated fellowship, and it's when it's included with the article, the word the. Now that matters, okay? Because what we just read in Acts 2.42 is they were devoted to the, the or the fellowship. Now why does that matter? Well, let me just use an illustration. If I say the word cowboys right now, it's Sunday, it's game day. Most of you are thinking football, but not necessarily everybody, right? Some of you may be thinking about a John Wayne movie that you're gonna go home and watch instead of the football game. Some of you may be thinking about a Halloween costume idea. You're like, oh, that's what I'll do. We're all over the map on what we're thinking. However, if I say the Cowboys, we're all thinking the same thing. Jerry Jones, Silver Blue Star, football team, Romo, right? So the article matters when you say the fellowship. So when you see it in the New Testament described as the fellowship, it, it's something very specific. It gets used, again, in the letters to the Corinth church. Um, just, just I'll give you one of two examples in uh, 1 Corinthians 1, 9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship. Okay, so it matters. 
So now we're asking, what fellowship? And then he goes on to say, here's the fellowship I'm talking about. The fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now that's, that's incredibly important for us to hear as Christians. You haven't just been invited into a relationship with God. You've been invited into a relationship with God's people who are called the fellowship. Now what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you a few more verses on how the word gets used. And I want you to try to figure out where the word koinonia is in these verses. So let's roll to another example. Uh, let's go to Romans 15, 26. And so this is, um, this is Paul. He's um, acknowledging and, and, and with a thankfulness the, um, the way that the church in Macedonia and Achaia um, have been so awesome at supporting the ministry and taking care of needs. Okay, so this is the context. And he says this, For uh, Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints of Jerusalem. So where's the word koinonia? No, that's what I thought too when I first read it. Contribution. That's the word koinonia. That's how it gets used. Paul uses that same word that describes who we are as the church of God to also describe the gift that they give. And it gets translated contribution. It's koinonia. Let me, let me give you another example how it gets used. And I could show you a couple of those, but we'll move on to another one from Philippians 1.5. See if you can find the word koinonia here. Because of your partnership in the gospel from that first day, or from the first day until now, where's koinonia? Partnership, yeah. When you think of partnership, you tend to think of like companies and people working together to produce a product or a service, and, and that's kind of the idea here that you and I are partners. What are we, what are we partners in? Think, think about that. I mean, that's a valid question. Are we partners in building buildings? Are we partners in making sure the campus looks good and people are greeted? What are we partners in? Our partnership is in the proclamation of the gospel, period. You know that, right? Like everything that we do, from greeting people and handing out our worship guides to mowing the grass and trimming the trees, right, to running the sound and projectors and lights, playing in the band, everything that we do as the fellowship is a partnership in proclaiming the gospel. I want you to know that. If you serve here at the church, you play a significant role in this partnership of communicating the gospel. And so the, the word koinonia gets translated partnership. I found that really helpful for me. Here's another way it gets used. wish we had more time on this one. We'll come back. In 1 Corinthians 10, 16, um, in talking about communion, Paul says this, that the cup of blessing, he's kind of holding the cup there, um, that we bless is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? And the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Now, where's the word koinonia there? Participation. And the idea here isn't so much that we work together and serve together and mow the grass together and greet people together. And the idea here is that we literally participate in the death and resurrection of Jesus. That when you partake, in the salvation he offers through his death on the cross and his resurrection, you also participate in that. That's beautiful. Like, I tend to see it as he sacrificed for us so we don't have to. However, once we give our lives to Jesus and we say, yes, I'm all in, he calls us to a life then of sacrifice, to participate the way he laid his life down, he says, yes, participate with me in laying your life down for others. And so the word koinonia 
gets used to describe our participation with Christ. Now, what I want to do now is, is to just pull two examples out of the New Testament where the word gets used in a, kind of a, a broader context and gets explained a little bit better so you and I can fully understand who we are to be as his disciples. I'm going to turn to 1 John chapter 1 and look at three verses. So I invite you to turn there if you want to. You may want to underline uh, a few words. Um, the word fellowship comes up a lot in this, uh, in this text we're going to look at. I'm going to start in, in verse 3. And so this is where, for me, it really becomes challenging, okay? So, so far, I'm really affirmed. Like, so far, I'm like, okay, yes, I love being a part of this koinonia, okay? And so now we're going to go to 1 John chapter 1, starting in verse 3, and now we're going to begin to be challenged a little bit. This is what the Apostle John has to say. He says, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you. So what's he talking about? What has John seen and heard? He's talking about the gospel. We saw it with our own eyes, we heard it, and now we're proclaiming it to you. That's our partnership, this gospel. So then he goes on to say, so that you may have fellowship with us. Now that's strange. I thought we proclaimed the gospel so people could get saved. We do, but you see what he's implying here? Because of what Jesus did on the cross, we now have fellowship. So we proclaim this gospel to you so that we might have fellowship. Then he goes on to say, so that you too may have fellowship. So that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship then is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. You see what picture he's painting here? Like, if I have fellowship with Jesus, I have fellowship with you. I can't have one or the other. Are you, are you catching that from him? Look at what he says in verses, uh, drop down to like verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all of our sins. He's going to go on to say, I'm not saying that nobody has sin in their lives. All I'm saying is that you walk in transparency and in the light. If you're in Christ, you walk in a way where your life is exposed, right? You're quick to acknowledge your mistakes and your sin and confession. Uh, even when we overlook them and we're not quite aware, a brother or sister will come alongside you gently and say, hey, I don't know if you saw this going on in your life, but just want to say, hey, this is a place where you can still use some change here, right? That's what we call accountability. This idea of walking in the light, okay? So you see how fellowship with God implies fellowship with one another. Now, let me just illustrate this for you, the way I see this in my mind. Um, I'll use this as just... This is a music stand, it's not the cross. But we're gonna pretend like this is the cross, conceptually, okay? So if this is the cross of Jesus, and here I am walking through life, I have no hope, um, I have all this weight of shame and guilt because I know what sin is, whether I admit it or not. I just, at night I just feel really dark, really dirty, really hopeless. And I see the cross, I hear the gospel, and I go, I want that. I need that. I need to be rescued. I need to be freed from the bondage of my sin. I need somebody to pull the shackles of, of, of shame off of me and give me eternal life. And so I, see, I hear the gospel. I respond. And so I'm, I come to Jesus. Like, there's something beautiful that happens here. I'm, 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 in, I'm enthralled in who he is and what he's done for me. And then I look up and like, whoa, I see you there. I see that I'm not just me and him. It's like, at the cross, I meet you there. That's what John's saying here. That he, he's brought us near to himself, and in bringing you near to himself, he brought me near to himself, and like we look at him, we're shoulder to shoulder at the foot of the cross. 
It, it explains to me why um, those who try to live out with a relationship with Jesus without participating in the koinonia are either so confused or um, so bitter and angry. Because this thing was designed by God to be a fellowship. I can't fellowship with you unless you're here, right? Unless we're like, like we can only do so much on Facebook. And then I need to, I need to see you eye to eye. I need, a, I need a hug. I need a handshake. I need to bust fists with you, right? I need, to, I need to be encouraged by you. I need to be challenged by you. I need to be held accountable by you. None of those things can happen, right, through social media or, or watching this on TV. And so that's, that's incredibly challenging to me. Like, I don't just show up on Sunday to do my gig and preach. I show up to be with you. And hopefully you show up to be with each other. This is what John is saying. you got fellowship with God. you got fellowship with everybody else. You don't have fellowship with everybody else. You may not have fellowship with God. Because as we approach the cross, we meet each other there. It's why when Paul is blowing it up in Ephesians 2, explaining the gospel, the first 10 verses talk about how God has saved us individually. But then the rest of chapter 2 talks about how at the same moment, at the same cross, at the same death and resurrection, Jesus tore down the wall of hostility and made the two one. At the same moment, he was making us one with God the creator maker. Okay, At the cross, he was also tearing down the hostility that divided us and making us one. Now think about that in terms of what you know about how Paul describes the church as the body. One faith, one baptism, one Lord. There's a, a oneness that exists with the koinonia. So John says, you know, here's the thing. I, I love John for being honest. If you have fellowship with God, you have fellowship with one another. And, and the converse is true as well. Like we can't really have fellowship with one another unless we have fellowship with God. Think about that. Let me go to Hebrews. I want to look at something in Hebrews 10. The author of Hebrews, among many other things that he does, in chapter 10, he, um, he drops the word koinonia in here and then in chapter 13, but really paints a beautiful context for what the word means, just all in one little section here, okay? So let's look at Hebrews 10 together, starting in verse 19. So after talking about this beautiful sacrificial work that Jesus did on the cross to make us right and give us access into God's presence individually, okay, he begins to talk very corporately. And so in verse 19, he says, therefore, brothers, it implies sisters, it's the plural idea, okay? So ladies, you're not left out here. Brothers and sisters in Christ, that's who he's talking to. Here's what he says. So therefore, brothers, since we collectively have confidence to enter the holy places, okay, let's stop for a second. What's he, what's he referring to? He's referring to the Holy of Holies from the Old Testament. If you know how the temple was set up, you had these outer courts, you had these Gentile courts where the Gentiles could come, but then you had a next section that you couldn't step into unless you were, you were Jewish, okay? But then you had a next section that only the priest could go into, and you had the, the presence of God hidden behind the veil, the curtain of the Holy of Holies, okay? And so what the author of Hebrews is saying, now all of us Right? We don't have to stop at the, the, court, the court of the Gentiles. All of us now have this confidence to enter into the holy holies together. Look at this. This is, this is beautiful. By the blood of Jesus, that sacrifice of Jesus that was, um, was presented in the Old Testament through sacrifice, the sacrificing of animals. 
Like that's the, they had to sacrifice an animal before the priest could go in. Now Jesus has been sacrificed so that all of us together, all of us, get to not just into the courts, right? Not just into the second layer. Where do we get to go? We get to go behind the curtain together. That's beautiful. Verse 20, by a new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, Jesus is the priest of this church. Not me. Jesus is the head of this church. The best job the elders of this church can do is to be on our faces and on our knees, humbly bowing and asking, Jesus, what would you have us do? Those are the, those are the wisest decisions we can make. Those are the most edifying, God-glorifying decisions we can make. Not trusting on our own experiences or wisdom or understanding, but humbly bowing before Jesus as the head and saying, what would you have us do? He's the priest over this church. Look at 22. I love this. So there, let us then draw near. There's that idea. We draw near to God's presence together with true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. What that's telling me is this. When we get together on Sunday mornings, this is not about a pep rally, okay? This is not about us reciting songs or reading a book together or listening to lectures. We collect ourselves in this place at this time to together step into the presence of God. We can't do that unless we get together, right? Like we can't do that unless we come to the same place at the same time. Now, here's what I want you to hear in this. Like, if you're ever not here, you're missed, but not because of attendance, okay? Not because we want to count the back of your head. You're missed because we belong together. You're missed because somebody, right, who was a part of this beautiful contribution, this coming together, this partnership, wasn't here. And because we've been given this access to come together as the body of Christ and enter into his presence together. So if you're not here and you, for whatever reason, and we have great, I mean, you have valid reasons. Sometimes you don't feel well, you're sick, kids are sick, you're on vacation, you know, I'm not disputing that at all. But here's what I always want. I always want you to feel like something's missing. Like there always needs to be a sense of, I know why I can't be there, but I, but I kind of wish I could have been. I'm missing out on something, something special. The coming together with God's people to experience his presence together. Now, I'm not saying you can't have a relationship with God without the church. I'm not even saying you can't experience his presence without the church. I'm not saying that at all. However, you can't experience the corporate presence of God unless you're with the church. I am saying that, right? You can't experience God's presence with other believers unless you're with other believers. And that's what the author of Hebrews is laboring to say to us. Like, don't take advantage of this. Don't neglect this. Like, God has given this beautiful, awesome privilege to his children. He said, here's, I'm calling you together periodically and consistently, once a week we see, to come together and experience my presence as a loving father corporately. Don't neglect that. And then if you move to chapter 13 of Hebrews, the word koinonia comes up in an interesting way. In chapter 13, verse 16, he's still talking about the church. Look at what he says. 
He's going to go on to say, don't neglect the assembling of yourselves together as a church. Don't neglect that. Jesus did this. Don't neglect that. Then in verse 16, he says, do not go neglect to do good and share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Do you know where the word koinonia is in there? It's hard to see. It's the word share. Now, when we go back and read Acts 2 in just a minute, 41, 42 through 47, like you're going to see a lot of sharing. And so that's the idea. We share in a common experience together when we're here. I mean, how many times have you been to like this amazing experience with God's people and somebody wasn't here and you're thinking in your mind, I wish they could have been here. And you try to tell them how cool it was, but unless they were here, they just can't get it. We share something together when we come together, but it's more than that. When we bring our worship together, our praise together, we're sharing our worship. You can worship at your house, in your car, wherever you want to worship. You can, you can worship through song or not through song. However, when we come together as God's people and we proclaim with one voice who he is, that can only be done when you assemble with God's people. That's where we share in a common expression of worship. And so the word koinonia gets translated in sharing. Do not neglect the to do good and to be the koinonia with what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. When we, when we give money to the church, you're not donating to a cause, right? I mean, you know that. You're not just, right, just being generous and trying to help pay some light bills. Like, if that's the way you view it, you're completely missing it. Our collection of money on Sunday mornings is called the, the koinonia, it's the gift. It's the contribution. We are saying we're partners on the same mission. We are, we are in love with, we're worshiping the same Savior. We are his body under his headship. All that is being expressed when we come together with our tithes and offerings. Now what I want to do is I want to go back um, to Acts 2. And I want to reread this section, just 41 through 47. And I want you to listen now how... Every word and every phrase seems to be dripping with this definition of koinonia. It's almost as if all the other words and phrases are like a sponge. And if you were to twist them and wring them out, every phrase is dripping with this idea of koinonia. Look at verse 41, of course, is where the the 3,000 respond. They're saved. They're baptized. 42 says these people, these Christians, they were devoted they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. It's important to understand. This is the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayer. And all came upon every soul. Now, how is all going to come upon every soul unless we're together? Right? It's this corporate idea. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Verse 44, look at this. And all who believed were, were what? Together. It was like you get this idea that in this context, if you were a believer in Jesus and the church was getting together for anything, you wanted to be involved. Like, I just need to know, when is the church getting together? I want to be there. So that's the idea here, that all the believers in this community, in this town, they were all together. They were all together and they had all things in common. Here's the idea of sharing, contributing, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to any or as any had need. 
And look at the verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple courts together, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. There is no, right, lone ranger Christianity in this context, is there? Like everything that was happening, the whole church was doing. Everything that was being experienced in God's presence on earth was being experienced by all the believers. The needs that were being met were being met by all. all everybody was together. I want to read for you a, a, a thank you letter that uh, Miss Nita brought to me this morning. Um, several of you took time to go by and see her or call her or email her. Some even took her dinner. And, and like, here's what's great. It wasn't like an organized effort. Okay? Like, I didn't know a lot of this was going on. Um, Hallie made a phone call uh, with Calvin one day just to check on her one afternoon, and, and Calvin got to talk to Nita. And so she just wanted to write a, a thank you card. But what I want you to hear in this is just this beautiful expression of thanking the church for being the church. Here it is. To my special friends at Solid Rock Church, I want to thank you for all the emails and cards and flowers and smiley faces Emails with the pictures of a precious new baby girl and ones who brought food. This was all taking place over the last week. I've never felt so loved before. God has blessed me more than I can say and gave me a family of people who love the Lord. I say God bless you all. And I love each one of you with all my heart. I know Roger, this is um, her husband who passed away uh, about this time last year. I know Roger looks down from above and smiles, that big smile of his, in Christ, Nita. P.S., thank you, Cal and Hallie. Cal's our 18-month-old, before the phone call. And when Cal said, bye, nanny. Now, that's, that's, a, that's a beautiful story. That's a beautiful, right? This is the koinonia. This is who we're to be to each other every day. And so on, on some ways, I'm affirmed, I'm encouraged, I'm thankful to be a part of this church. In other ways, I'm challenged to think about this in my daily walk with the Lord. That it's not just about me and Jesus, it's about me and you and Jesus. And he's speaking to us all, he's leading us all, he's convicting us all, he's challenging us all. So here's what I want to leave you with today. As we've read from the text, this beautiful description of what it means to be the koinonia and this idea that we participate in it together, I want to leave you with just a personal challenge, okay? In just a minute, I'm going to have the worship team come back up, but before they do, let's all take a moment just in silence, at least out loud, maybe in our own heads, we could begin to have a conversation with God, and just begin to think about it. If we could just close our eyes maybe and, and bow our heads and just try to clear our mind, if each one of us could just take personal inventory for a few moments, as you've heard the description of what it means to be the koinonia, um, think about your own participation in the church. Take a minute to, to be thankful, to thank God for um, your church family, um, but also take a minute to ask God to reveal to you maybe a deeper level of devotion to the church. Maybe you're a person here who's a member somewhere else and you're just visiting. Think about your own church, okay? This is not about solid rock. It's about the gathering of God's people. So wherever your church home is, think about your own devotion to the people there. Think about the way you give your time and 
and, and your possessions and your money and, and all those things. And just ask yourself, am I participating in this common mutual partnership in the gospel? And I want to leave you with one thought. Here's, here's what we're getting from the Bible. God's not getting on to you for your half-hearted devotedness. He's not getting on to you for not being more dedicated. It's not at all what he's doing. Here's what God is doing right now. It's what he's saying to you. He's saying, this is who my church is. This is who you are. Now, go and be who you already are. He's not bow-beating you for bad church attendance. He's not bow-beating you for not giving money. He's saying to you, my son, my daughter, this is who you are. Now be who you are. As I pray, I'm going to have the worship team come back up to lead us in response.